Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is all Cape Cod National Seashore. Okay, this is... So this is part of the 44,000 acres that is the Cape Cod National Seashore. We're on the Atlantic Ocean side. This is where the seals hang out. Okay. And then... (gasps) There's a pile of seals. Where? Oh, yeah, that is a pile of seals. Look at that pile of seals, though. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, shit. Right? I'm Mitra Caboli. Welcome to Provincetown, Episode 7 your happy place. From the moment I arrived, the people who actually live here, who make up the fabric of town, were so good to me, especially Kristen. In a lot of ways, she's also my beach dad. Anytime something crazy happens in New York, she checks in on me. Or sometimes she'll just call me when she's on a long drive. Me truck, me truck is better. And I'm driving from One day over the summer, she picked me up and we drove to one of the off-road vehicle trails in the sand dunes. From the beach, she showed me a sandbar where hundreds of seals were hanging out. We picked the much-awaited tiny plums that grow near the ocean. Oh, wait. What? Beach plums. They're ready. There's a whole bunch up here. Don't worry. Okay, great. It's on the list and they are kind of ready, yeah. They're ready. I can see them. I remember a time in the summer where there was a potential for a hurricane. Kristen made sure I had enough food and water, and really, if I needed anything, I could always walk up the street to her house. I still feel like I could just show up on her doorstep, and she would give me a hot meal and a bed to sleep in. But today, we're just a couple of dykes sitting on the beach, taking it all in. There's something about, like, the dunes that look really desolate, but actually they're full of life. You know, I'm just projecting. It is definitely more fruitful than one would imagine. Yeah. For hundreds of years, 
The sandbars that line the shores of Cape Cod were the site of thousands of shipwrecks. In 1816, Provincetown's Race Point Lighthouse lit for the first time to guide sailors at night in the rough waters. Even now, P-Town is a beacon for people seeking refuge from the turbulence of their lives. That's how Kristen landed here. And that's also the case for Brian Sheeran. He moved to P-Town in September of 2020 while he was going through a divorce. I wasn't the only one that wound up in here in the fall with the end of a relationship. At retirement age, Brian is starting all over again. And he chose to do that in Provincetown. My co-producer, Emily, first met Brian while snooping around McMillan Pier. Um, hello. I didn't mean to sneak up on you. Oh, that's okay. Hi. Um, I'm Emily. It would be hard to pick Brian out of a boat full of bears. He's 61 and barrel-chested with a close-trimmed white beard. I bumped into him while he was working a summer job as assistant harbormaster. This is like sort of a semi-retirement gig. Oh, okay. The harbormaster team is kind of like the boat police. They help with boat rescues, direct ferry traffic, tow in dead seals. And there are times where I'm like, I'm really getting to do this? Like, this is really happening? Yeah, okay, this is pretty good. (laughs) Over the summer, I got to know Brian's family a little, too. He has two daughters in college, Nicole and Jackie. First day he crashed one of the boats. This is Jackie. (laughs) I was like, the first day? And he was like, yeah, crashed the boat on the first day. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was getting nervous for him. I was like, you have a whole summer of this. Like, what are you doing? And so we just spent like hours on this boat practicing like docking, doing it quicker and not hitting the boat every single time. And I thought I knew enough about boats, but it's like, oh, wow, you could just keep learning and learning and learning. You're never done. After decades of vacationing here with his family, Brian relocated to P-Town from a suburb of New York City without a roadmap. Because why not be in your happy place in the middle of a pandemic, right? When Brian was young, he never expected to live this long, let alone have a conventional family life. I wanted a partner. I wanted a yard, a dog, kids. And um, I always wanted to be a parent, but I, I think I grieved at 20 that the kind of lifestyle that I wanted wasn't possible at the time. In his early 20s, it was hard to imagine a future because of AIDS. Through the 80s, he watched his friends die, and he figured he would be next. And if they had it, why I should probably have it too. So I thought, well, what do people do when they feel like they don't have much future? So I spent up a You know, I ran up credit card debt, I traveled, I did all this stuff thinking for certain that I wasn't going to be here, I might as well... What did you do? Oh my God, I partied too hard, traveled too much, spent too much, because I wasn't going to be here. But then a test for HIV came out, and Brian decided to take it. And I went to it, and I was so scared, and it was like good news and bad news all in one. The good news was that I didn't have the virus. The bad news was is, is that I was going to have to stick around and watch all of my friends die who had it, and that I was going to have to deal with all this debt. Suddenly, he had all of this life ahead of him that he hadn't planned for. He began paying off his debts, working as a social worker, and waiting tables on the side. Then, in 1997, Brian met a man in an AOL chat room for men with hairy chests. We're going to call him Ray. Right away, something clicked between them. I stayed over, and he came running out of the kitchen with a bunch of freshly baked uh, muffins that he made and coffee. 
And I was like, oh, I could get used to this. Their shared experience of watching so many friends die of AIDS made them talk about what they wanted out of life. And what they wanted was to build a family together. They had a commitment ceremony. And then we decided we wanted to adopt and put it filled out a paper. Jackie's birth mother picked us out of the book. And, and then we were off and running. They adopted two daughters, first Jackie, then Nicole. Eventually, they moved to a rich suburb outside of New York City. Martha Stewart lives there, so it's that kind of rich. Ray worked as a partner at an accounting firm, and Brian stayed home to raise their kids. That was the agreement. But Brian never truly felt at ease. There weren't any families that looked like theirs. Two white dads, two black kids. So they started going to P-Town for family week. It offered time and space for them to relax and take a break from explaining themselves. In Provincetown, Brian and his family could exhale. And how quickly those feelings of equality, like lived equality, come and how meaningful they are and how right it seems. And you think, well, how, why was it like not always like this? When we were leaving town to go back to New York, I felt like uh, weepy because it was like, oh, I don't want this to ever end. I want to like, I want to move into family week. Can you contrast it to how you were feeling where you were living at the time? I, well, I felt like I was in exile. More and more, Brian felt isolated, lonely. And at home with Ray, Brian says he felt like the support staff. And he really thought that what I was doing for the kids was just like hiring somebody to drive. When the kids went off to college, Brian began to think about reviving his career. Then the world stopped in 2020, and his relationship couldn't carry the weight of the pandemic. At a time Brian felt they should be most committed to each other's safety, a grinder notification popped up on Ray's phone. And I saw messages at the bottom, and I just tapped them. And, and I was like, oh my God, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Then I just, I'm done. I'm not going to die over you. That fall, Brian moved to Provincetown alone. Moving to a summer community during the off-season in the middle of a pandemic could have been a nightmare. But what Brian found here was support. Well, because of my friends, I wasn't alone. You know, we, we did a lot of things outside. We did tons of hiking. They helped him move in. They had a weekly outdoor meditation group. Some friends he'd known for 20 years, some friends he made when he moved here. So it almost felt like I sort of moved into a ready-made family. A handful of them were also grieving broken relationships. Brian affectionately calls the group the gay divorcees. A couple of them were a little further ahead than I was in it. We all didn't necessarily have the same circumstances, but by the same token, it was just sort of like a big warm sweater kind of a thing. On a few occasions this summer, I hung out with Brian as he worked the late shift at the Harvard Master's office. So what else have you been up to tonight? Um, mostly just traffic control. I had to move um, our main... There's not a whole lot going on at McMillan Pier after 9 p.m. On these slow nights, Brian would tell me about his dreams for the future. Renewing his social worker's license, eventually opening a recovery clinic all the while processing what happened with his ex. And I guess the only thing left for me to have learned from this failed marriage, and I can't even say that, like that's like a, 
I think the first time I said that out loud verbally, was he says that I gave my agency away. I wonder, would he have treated me better had I not given up my agency? Would I have felt better about myself if I had not given up so much? This summer, Brian is beginning to get back what he lost and surprising himself in the process. Like, he told me about how he just helped rescue a woman who got injured on the jetty, and he felt very butch about it. He caught the eye of a first responder who asked him out on a date. There's a part of it that reminds me of being a teenager that was really fun. He's had good dates and awkward dates. So then I, I said, gee, th- you know, I'm not really looking for a romance, but this is, to me, this age difference seems like a thing, could be a thing. He goes, that's okay, all my um, exes were old white men. <laughs> but all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, he thinks I'm an old white man. And I didn't feel like an old white man <laughs> until he said that. For the first time in a long time, Brian's seeing himself as someone more than a caretaker to his kids. Have you had many moments of joy this summer? Yeah. Like the other night, a whole group of us went swimming off the breakwater, and it was just, you know, they have those little crabs that are on the bottom. One of them decided it was just trying to get inside my suit. And it was swimming. It swam up from the bottom, and it was probably 10 feet of water. So everybody started screaming, oh, my God, we have crabs. And um, it was just it was just silly and funny, and it cost nothing. And it was spectacular. Brian is experiencing a carefree side of himself that he's never truly explored before. In his youth, it was taken by the AIDS epidemic and later by a lopsided relationship. But now he's finding his sense of self in the simple things. A moonlit swim and a joke among friends. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since I got here, people were eager to tell me what makes Provincetown special. It's the way people support each other. And a lot of times, the conversation would turn to what it was like here at the height of the AIDS epidemic. 
1983 was the year that the Boston radio and TV stations were talking about what was going on in Provincetown with, with this gay disease. Jay Critchley, the conceptual artist, lived through it. And they were showing images of empty beaches and like scaring people were getting scared about coming here. I was working at a whale watching business part time at the time. And um, I remember getting a couple of calls, people saying, are any of the staff members gay? But on Provincetown's radio station, WOMR, there was a different message. Good afternoon and welcome to the Provincetown AIDS Journal for Monday, September 24th. Today's program will contain some frank and explicit information, but it is meant to save lives. The Provincetown AIDS Journal aired weekly through the late 80s and early 90s. In it, locals shared all sorts of practical information. You might be able to still take AZT. If you cannot tolerate 1,200 milligrams a day, you might be able to take 300 milligrams, and it might... This is the message. Get tested anonymously. The Quakers provide meals for PWAs on Mondays. Tuesdays, there's a dinner at St. Peter's Church. One of the things I wanted to also stress as far as the safe sex, they talk about dental dams. You can get them from your dentist, but they're, mm-hmm. they're very hard to come by. But what you can use as something like that is, is uh, saran wrap and place it over your vagina before having um, oral sex. Mm-hmm. Or your anus. Or anus for rimming your asshole in the world. I listened to hours of this program. And it left me with a vivid picture of a community supporting each other during a very dark and confusing time. I think one thing I felt when I realized that I was HIV infected, I had to buy into this theory of AIDS as a gift that that I was supposed to feel kind of somehow that it was going to change my life and radically transform me and I was going to become a better person because of it and go on to newer and better things. And I had a hard time with that, and now I've realized that that is, for me, personally, bullshit. Almost everywhere else, AIDS was a cause for ignorance or fear. Families disowned their dying children, doctors turned people away, and the government actively ignored it. So people came here to die. You know, they would say, well, if if I'm going to die, I want to die in a place where I want to be. So, and... Some of those people are still alive. People who contracted HIV came to Provincetown because they trusted they would be cared for without stigma. And they were. The community formed a network of around-the-clock caregivers, organized by the town nurse Alice Foley. Everyone told me Alice was stubborn and abrasive, but she made things happen. She died in 2009, but here she is in a documentary called Safe Harbor. You could get a call at 4 o'clock in the afternoon that somebody was very, very sick and needed some help. By 4.30, you would have all the shifts covered. That's quite an amazing thing to be able to say. It was an experience that I had never had in nursing. So intimate. Alice wrangled dozens of volunteers on call. A lot of them were also in the documentary. We used to have one or two beds that were electric, rolling it down Commercial Street in August, and people just looking at me, I was like, I don't care. And the rides to Boston, four days a week, sometimes as many as six people in the van, all different appointments, all different hospitals, all different doctors. I think uh, the important part for me was that one-on-one, that closeness. At least they're home, and at least they're someplace where they want to be. 
Volunteers filled prescriptions, did loads of laundry, sat next to the dying holding their hands. Anything to make day-to-day life easier. People came from everywhere to help. I mean, it was quite impressive. You could find compassion and care in big cities with large gay populations. New York, San Francisco. But Provincetown is small. It made the epidemic hard to ignore because everyone was a neighbor. Jay was working as a masseuse at the time. What was it like uh, doing massage then? I can't imagine how that must have felt. It was very humbling and it was very intimate, very intimate. And sometimes you would actually give a full body massage, but you know, sometimes it was just about talking with them. Sometimes it was just about putting your hand on their body or on their back or on their forehead. And just that became the, the massage. It was about being there and showing up, sharing time and um, honoring the person. When somebody is so infirmed for so long and nobody touches them, think about that. That's got to be tough. George Lebone lives in town and became a nurse because of what he lived through. We just lost so many. It was, it was tough. George was in his 20s when he joined the volunteer network and had a regular shift with a man named Don who had AIDS-related dementia. In real life, before he got sick, he was just, everybody loved him. And um, he hadn't taken a shower in a while, and he wasn't getting in the shower for anybody else. So I just said, Don, okay, we're going to take a shower today. And he was very happy about it. And I showered him. I got in the shower with him, and we all got wet. And he washed my back, and I cleaned him up. And that's the only way he would take a shower. That's how we got him in the shower. Yeah. So it's so intimate. So, so close. Yeah. And so, so ridiculously gay boy, and that's what he was about too, you know. We were friends beforehand, and he knew me beforehand. So he may not have been able to tell you what my name was, but always the recognition when I came. The volunteers took turns watching over Don. And there was one person who I think he didn't necessarily click with, and because of his dementia, he decided he was going to run away from her running down Commercial Street, butt-ass naked, away from the person who had come to help him. (laughs) It was busy. It was in the middle of summer. And then right behind him was the volunteer. This group of volunteers would become the AIDS support group, still a resource in town for those living with HIV-AIDS. Every once in a while, pictures will pop up from the AIDS support group days, and it's like, wow, dead, 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 dead. And you can pick out the ones that are still alive. I think there's only... Two of us that are still alive, I think, in that picture. Everybody else is dead. Tough. There's this one episode of the Provincetown Age Journal radio show that I keep thinking about. Just very recently, I realized that in my own way, I am empowered. It's from 1989, and it's a roundtable discussion with different residents, some HIV positive, about empowerment and what it means to them. Eric, what do you think? Well, I think empowerment for me has been, I can remember just last summer, the 
the darkness that I was in around AIDS, not knowing a lot of the medical terminology, how it affects the body, and just slowly but surely exposing and tapping myself into the resources of different programs here in town, taking an active role with my own personal health, knowing what the disease is, and not believing hook, line, and sinker everything I hear about it, leaving a space open for hope and that the possibility that these professionals may be wrong, that I have more than five years to live. I don't believe I'm going to die in the next year. It all came down to agency, and that's what the AIDS support group offered, a way for people to feel strong in the choices that they made towards the end. In the absence of government support and life-saving treatments, this community empowered its residents to take care of each other. On the outskirts of town, off of Route 6, there's a trailhead, a popular hike among tourists, locals, and Brian and his gay divorcees. When they go hiking, they follow this trail through a patch of forest to the foot of a sand dune. They climb over the soft, hot sand until they can see the ocean. Along the way, they pass wooden shacks, spread out across the landscape. Now artists come here to write or paint. But in the 1800s, shacks like these were a haven for shipwreck sailors. If they made it to land, it was a place to shelter in the harsh environment. And inside were all the things you'd need to weather a storm. At the start of summer 2021, there was this tiny window of time where we finally felt like we had gotten out from under the grips of COVID. With vaccines coursing through our veins, people were ready to party. But during Bear Week, I started to hear whispers that there was an uptick in COVID cases. Eventually, I noticed that the streets were thinning out, an unusual sight for July in Provincetown. By the end of Bear Week, I heard a new rumor— Apparently, a friend of the state senator was hopping around the beach, telling everyone that the town was going to shut everything down by 9 a.m. the next day. This rumor was not true, but COVID cases were, in fact, rising. The state set up a mobile testing site, the IT place to be in mid-July. People were running into their dates, flirtations, friends, while they waited to be tested. I met up with singer Kaya Cristal there. We are at the old Provincetown Elementary School, and we are currently in line to get tested to see uh, whether or not we have COVID. It's a hot day. The sun is beating directly down on us, and the line is long. God, the line really is wrapped all the way around the building. Oh, my God. And this is the second show that I've had canceled in two days. The town called an emergency meeting that Monday but didn't implement anything other than a mask advisory, which just means do what you want. Performers are having to decide on their own whether they should keep doing their shows. Are you stressed about, like, money? 
fortunately, no. <laughs> Not this time around. Kaya made her $10,000 summer goal already, so the financial ramifications aren't looming over her head for now. Do you, like, feel sick or anything? Or do you mm-hmm. But she woke up with a scratchy throat. If she has COVID, that could leave her out of work for the next 10 days. It's a, it's just, it's a, you know what, it's a combination of run down, tired, doing 18,000 jobs every day or having to work full time and then do gigs all the time and constantly being around people. It's just, because it's not like the world stops. It's not like time slows down or it's not like the town slows down. There's still people here and there are people that still want to buy things and do things, so... Kaya told me that her gig last night was packed, which surprised me. Hundreds of people are testing positive, locals and tourists. There's a lot of confusion right now about why this is happening and what to do. Yeah, I think before we move on to the next agenda item, if there's any questions as it relates to the numbers of the presentation from Vera, um, board members from either board can ask questions. (laughs) This is audio from the emergency select board meeting on July 19th in Provincetown. The select board is basically like a city council. This meeting was called while the town was eerily quiet in the throes of a new COVID outbreak. So I have questions um, related to any knowledge about transmission, not just the fact that it's from a lot of different businesses, but maybe the level of contact that uh, vaccinated folks may have had. The level of contact that vaccinated folks may have had. This is what I call the dick suck question. We know uh, that it... uh, Transmission, uh, so in this particular case, associated with high-density activities, people in confined spaces um, will easily transmit the virus to one another, breath, um, sometimes contact as well. Um, the question being, if the outbreak is being caused by uh, high-density activities in uh, confined spaces... The town officials seem to be struggling to talk directly about whether two weeks of clubbing, orgies, and sex parties is to blame for the COVID outbreak. The palpable discomfort is funny. Like, come on, this is P-Town. That's why people come here. But this is a small town. A few hundred people testing positive is a big deal. This was the first major COVID outbreak since the vaccine rollout in a place with one of the highest vaccination rates in the country. Suddenly, P-Town was making national and international news. And there was something about the nonstop coverage that rubbed me the wrong way. I found myself feeling very protective of P-Town. It felt like people were pointing to this gay town and its vectors of illness in a way that felt a little familiar. It reminded me of the news reports in the 80s of empty beaches or people calling Jay Critchley at his whale watch job, asking if any gay people worked there. In reality, the outbreak was controlled very quickly. A group of people who tested positive organized a system of case reporting and contact tracing. They even ended up collaborating with federal and state health agencies. This community is familiar with harm reduction. Think saran wrap dental dams for rimming. So they got to work. Now, here I was in this place that so many people care deeply about. And what I saw was everyone doing their best to keep each other safe. Not a bad place to be when shit hits the fan.
Coming up on Welcome to Provincetown, it's Carnival. How are you feeling? You look I'm feeling amazing. I'm already in character. I'll get you, my pretty, and you want to talk, too. Welcome to Provincetown was created by Room Tone and Rococo Punch. It's produced by me, Mitra Caboli, and Emily Foreman in association with Stitcher. Story editing by Gianna Palmer at Witness Docs. Charlotte Livingston is our production assistant. Bart Tochi helped with fact-checking. Additional technical help from Daniel Reese. Our executive producers are Jessica Alpert and John Ferrati at Rococo Punch and Ben Riskin and Bianca Grimshaw at Room Tone. Camille Stanley is the executive producer of Witness Docs, and Casey Holford is the technical director. Special thanks to Catherine Russo for use of her documentary Safe Harbor, and John Braden at WOMR for providing access to the Provincetown AIDS Journal. If you want to see pics from our summer in P-Town, follow us on Instagram at Rococo Punch. Thanks for listening. We were just at Porch Bar, and then we went to go get Spiritus to get pizza, but the pizza is closed. Maybe we should see what the deal is. Okay, let's go talk. Okay, let's go. My name is... I'm from the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., so I'm used to protesting, and I'm actually... Where were you coming from? The bar. Shipwrecked. Oh, we... Sorely disappointed that there's not pizza. So, is this, yeah, wherever this is going, yeah, yeah, record all of it, because I'm highly upset, and if there was a manager right now, I would ask for him or her, or them or they, or, I would ask for all the pronouns, right now. Do you have a guess as to why it's closed? Like, if you can guess. COVID. No, if, no. If I had a guess as to why it's closed, it would it was because it would be because they don't understand their clientele and they don't understand that people are hungry and their their business is to serve hungry people. We're, we're and vaccinated, so, you know goddammit. I'm highly offended. <laughs> I, and if I don't even know if I could be more offended. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.